Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast. My name is Alex, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike. And today we're going to be recording a discussion about uh, M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, which is the big talk of the town this January, or talk of the world, I should say. Um, and uh, the, our guest today is one we've had on before, um, who uh, is always ready and willing for a chat, especially about comic book related movies. Um, so Aman Warman, he's a freelance writer based in London for outlets including Empire Magazine, Yahoo, and Den of Geek. And we're happy to have you on, Aman. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, and uh, the last time we had you on was for Avengers, right? Or was there another one? I believe it was for Avengers, yes. Okay. Because I and... remember saying, bring me Thanos, like, three times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And something about Wakanda, too, I think. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, while... Okay, I don't want to get into it yet because there's something I want to talk about before we get to Glass, but... Um, Glass isn't really a comic book movie, but it is for obvious reasons that we'll, we'll get into when we start discussing it. Um, but before then, one thing I wanted to talk about since this just came out and there's actually something I, I need to rant about, and I don't want this episode to be ranty, but I need to get this off my chest while we're uh, in this discussion, is the new trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, which is the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, the um, Tom Holland uh, latest take on Spider-Man. Um, and Far From Home comes out this summer. I think it's in June, uh, which is a month or so after Avengers Endgame comes out. And we also know, because I think we discussed it a couple episodes ago, uh, that the Avengers Endgame teaser trailer came out in December. So um, the big thing that... Uh, first things first, I really like the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. It doesn't show a lot. It's still kind of their first trailer and our first reveal. And we do get to see Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio... Uh, and we do get to see the the plot, which is that um, uh, Tom Holland, as Peter Parker, and his friends from his school in New York go to Europe for a vacation. And there's clearly scenes in Venice, and there's clearly scenes in London, and perhaps a few others. Um, and uh, it looks great. It looks fun. Uh, of course, I'll say that after Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, it's very hard to watch a Spider-Man movie without thinking of that and how much that sets. But actually, my feeling watching this trailer was actually that um uh i almost start to think now that this is just one of the spider-verse stories in the way that every time they would introduce a new spider-man and into the spider-verse there would be that like little vignette that's like this is how my origin story was and now you guys know the rest of the story and we're just seeing one of those play out and that actually made me feel better about it instead of being like oh well nothing's ever going to be able to be the same spider-man again so did you guys like the trailer too I really liked the trailer, and I was surprised because not only um, do Sony not have a great track record um, when it comes to Spider-Man trailers. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, you don't... Oh, wow, Sony and Spider-Man trailers. First of all, I mean, just going back to Spider-Man Homecoming, the trailers for Spider-Man Homecoming weren't great. But when it comes to you know, showing too much from a film... Sony and Spider-Man have had a problem for a while. Ah, uh, you're even um, talking about like Spider-Man three with Venom too, right? I'm, that... talk, I'm, talk, I'm talking about the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Okay, but I was saying and even the... Raimi's movies though, no? Oh yeah, no, Raimi's movies too. But just in recent memory, um, or in more recent memory, the 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 Amazing Spider-Man movies. I mean, I think there was a point where I think for the the, the second Amazing Spider-Man movie, uh, somebody uh, before the movie came out assembled like. 25 or 30 minutes of footage that have been released by Sony into one video. Yeah. Um, and it, I, think, I think it went viral. Um, but uh, yeah, so not, not only was there that, but 
Um, because of um, you know what happened in Avengers: Infinity War, I wasn't expecting much of that. I mean, th- th- there were many sort of um, theories going into the trailer reveal, like how much is, how much of Spider-Man will we actually see? Um, but they showed you know a good amount without spoiling too much. I think they got that balance really, really right. And it looked it looks like a really fun movie. The action looks great and improved. I really like the look of Mysterio. And yeah, I'm excited for the movie. Uh, the the pitting it against Spider Verse is uh, it's it's predictable. <laughs> but I mean, I I I don't mind. I mean, this is a great time to be a Spider Man fan. Between yeah, yeah. Spider Verse, between the great uh, PS4 Spider Man game we've just gotten. And between everything that's happening in the MCU Spider-Man, I'm just, you know, happy that we're getting so many good Spider-Man stories, you know, in different mediums. Uh, so it doesn't, you know, I mean, obviously Spider-Verse it was my film of 2018. I loved the hell out of that movie. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but, you know, it's not going to stop me being excited for Spider-Man Far From Home, Far From It. The, the difference between... Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and the Marvel Spider-Man movies is really more about the universe that they live in, right? It's the surroundings that they engage with and what those implications have and how those allow the stories to be bigger than just, you know, the isolated story of Peter Parker. And that's, I think, why it's a good time to be a Spider-Man fan. But at the same time, um, I, I think that that's, a, that's something that's sort of driven my curiosity from this trailer this is probably the first time I've ever seen um, a Spider-Man trailer that actually made me start to hypothesize and do that thing that a lot of the blockbuster movies these days are doing. And, you know, whether it's Star Wars or whether it's Infinity War, these are movies that are, like, now designed to make you try and figure out what's going to happen next, and then they'll reveal it in the big finale, and you just have to go with the flow. But now they're stuck in this weird space where they have to promote a movie that involves a character that's hypothetically dead. And people are freaking out because they're too immature to realize that um, we live in a world where like, this is to be expected. And if you honestly watched the end of Infinity War and were dumb enough to think that some of these characters weren't <laughs> coming back, then it's just not worth talking to you. But obviously everybody in this room, and I'm kind of assuming anybody listening, knew that. And was prepared for that. And what I loved about the Spider-Man trailer was that it raised more questions than answers. People are like, oh, the, it, it reveals that uh, Spider-Man lives and, and Nick Fury lives. And it's like, no shit, they were probably going to live. We, we <laughs> knew that. What yeah. I love is that this creates a litany of questions. And those questions are really fun to sort of mull over for what's only going to be a few months. And Captain Marvel was never going to give us much. Um, in, in the way of sort of how things were going to unfold. So we're, we're still pretty much in the clear here about what happens in Infinity War. And if you're worried about who survives, you miss the point and the fun of how they survive. How does this all go down? And to me, what I thought was the coolest question that was raised with the Spider-Man trailer that's worth talking about is where's Iron Man? Where's Tony Stark? Why is Happy so involved and kind of seemingly maybe even having a romantic fling with Aunt May, like that, there's a lot of stuff that happened to lead to that plot point that was shown yeah. in that trailer. To me, all the things that happened in that trailer, Mysterio, um, the water monster, all those things pale in comparison to where the hell is Iron Man and why, 
why does it all seem so normal? So I'm really curious about how what that means for Infinity War, what's going to happen in Spider-Man Far From Home, and I just think it's really it's really fun. It's a really fun time to be one of those guessing game people who watches a little taste of something and and creates this wild world of like, you know, creative assumptions about what's going to happen. I've got all these great ideas, and I'll just close this thought with the one that I've been sort of articulating, which is that I I, I wonder and it's surely for another podcast to go deep into, but I wonder if the connection between the Spider-Verse movie and the new Spider-Man movie is this acceptance that we all now have for the idea of multiverses and the idea of alternate realities and changing timelines, and the X-Men movies kind of set the tone for that, but I don't think everybody was super pleased with the way Days of Future Past worked out. So, (laughs) you know, it's sort of it's not uncommon in comic books to sort of reset the table and give their characters all new um, arcs without having to create an all new cast of actual actors, but to just sort of reset the timetable. And so I am very curious and I think that it's possible that whatever happens in infinity war unleashes an entirely new world of monsters of villains of bad guys who otherwise didn't even exist in the marvel universe you know narratively until whatever happens in infinity war or i'm sorry end game game happens yes Mm. so that's that's something worth i think mulling over a little bit and i don't care if i'm wrong or completely off base here but that's sort of something i'm now enjoying going into this sort of spring calendar of marvel movies with yeah, we, we talked about Iron Man in the Avengers trailer, too, in the Endgame trailer. We were like, oh, well, it, they're, like, even setting up that Iron Man might not make it. But, of course, it's, it's there's, like, you know, 30 seconds of Iron Man footage in that trailer. So, mm-hmm. But you, you touched, Mike, upon my whole rant, which is – and you did it in a much nicer way, which is just that, like, there has been some Twitter statements recently about people saying that this, this trailer undercuts the tension of the Avengers movies. And I'm just like, okay, this is – this is to me it's like a ridiculous and completely nonsensical argument because first things first and I looked it up uh the Spider-Man Far From Home was announced October 20 2016 and um Tom Holland was confirmed July 2017 which is a little bit after or a little bit uh before uh Infinity War even came out so there's enough time here that we know this movie is going to be made to even imagine that that uh, a, a certain audience wouldn't know that this was going to be made and therefore is so surprised that having only seen Infinity War and that everyone gets dusted at the end, that Spider-Man's back, oh, wow, would completely change our expectations is, is crazy. I don't know anyone who actually thinks this. And if they do, it's it's really, really, really crazy to think that. And that's what bothers me. I'm like, I have to settle this argument. That's not an argument. It's it's just like, you, Mike, you pointed out in such a nice way. It brings up more questions that, of course, the point of movies is you go see it and you find it out. Nothing in the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer explains anything about Endgame. You could say, yes, Spider-Man's back, but we knew that. We knew that because October 2016, we knew he was going to be back, which is two years before Infinity War was even released. So there's all these like points to it to me that just frustrate me about people even bringing this up. Like I get that it's a, a, a marketing concern, but Mike, you also touched upon something great, which is that these companies know that marketing a movie successfully now is based on the curiosity. It's based on the questions that they they bring up and not answering until you see a movie. That's like the whole point of seeing a movie is to find out the answers to these questions. So if anything, I, my argument was that and if anything, this actually builds the tension because now you're like, well, how does Spider-Man come back? I have to go see Endgame to figure it out. There was never a question in anyone's rightful 
properly thinking mind that Spider-Man wouldn't be back and that they wouldn't make a sequel to Homecoming. There's just a question is how and why and what? And that's the point of going to see not only Endgame, but but Captain Marvel and, of course, eventually Spider-Man Far From Home. So that's my that's my statement on this. Also, a quick question yeah. um, for both of you, because I think you both might have an answer. Um, well, is there a tie-in between Mysterio and Doctor Strange? They seem to be obviously connected by their wardrobes, and I don't know the comic <laughs> book past. Are they supposed there's, to live in, in, in some kind of comic book storyline together? There's not. Um, well, well, in terms of has there been a crossover between Mysterio and Doctor Strange in comic books in the past? Probably. I'd need to, to look it up. Um, but my theory with Spider-Man Far From Home is that um, in the wake of whatever happens in Endgame, because I do think, you know, my, my prediction is that Iron Man is no longer with us in Spider-Man Far From Home. And therefore, because uh, Mysterio's whole, whole deal is, you know, trying to sort of, he, he's, he's a master of illusions and he's got, he's got lots of tricks. He doesn't actually have any powers. But I think in that void of there not being sort of, you know, a big hero like Iron Man around, he's trying to sort of make himself into a hero. And I actually think that um, despite the, 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 um, despite the sense that we've seen in fits and starts in the MCU, that's going to be the key to Peter defeating Mysterio. I know that in, in, if you look at the trailer, then Mysterio looks like an anti-hero of sorts, but I do think he is still the villain of the piece. And for, and to, and for Peter to win the day, he's going to have to sort of uh, develop his spider sense and, because I think that that's the power which is going to allow him to see through Mysterio's illusions and beat him at the end of the day. This is what, Mike, I think you mentioned this to me, Mike, when we were first talking about the trailers, that the water monster he fights... Your theory is that he is conjuring the water monster and he's fighting it to show he's a hero. Because I was right. wondering, like, who's the water monster? But that makes sense based on what you're saying, Amon. Like, that's actually part of the plot, I think, is him being like, look, I'm a hero. I'm a good guy. I did this and I defeated the water monster in Venice. And then it turns out there's an ulterior motive and that'll be the twist later on. I just kind of felt like I'm just very confused about his wardrobe. <laughs> Because it, it, it doesn't seem very subtle at all to be directly tied into the Doctor Strange wardrobes. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he's really a Doctor Strange villain in a Spider-Man movie. And that he's, you know, he unleashes this... He's sort of keeping certain magical, mystical things at bay... Um, you're saying he has powers, sure. Mike. But yeah, it's, it's, this is the thing. Mysterio does not have how, have powers. He's all smoke and mirrors. Trust me, Doctor Strange would handle Mysterio in two <laughs> seconds. Um, Doctor Strange, especially now, looking at what he did in Infinity War, the dude is on another... He's a master of the mystic arts, as you say. He's, he's on another level. Uh, so he would handle Mysterio in two seconds. But Mysterio's so the tricks and illusions are very, very impressive. Um, well, I mean, I, and... I think that'll be fun. And with, with Spider-Man having at least experienced Doctor Strange, I think that that creates a very significant relevance and will be at least brought up. I mean, he's, yeah, yeah. at the very oh, least, there's going to be a connection yeah. for Peter to whatever's happening here. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I'm surprised that you know, the, the button scene at the end, I think one of the characters says that, Mysterio is a mix between Iron Man and Thor. It's really a mix between Iron Man and Doctor Strange. I'm surprised it didn't go that way and mm. say Doctor Strange instead of Thor. But I also like that and, we threw Dickwad into a 
mainstream <laughs> movie trailer. You don't see mm-hmm. that very often. Yeah, I think I don't know. I feel like we've covered it enough, and of course, without spending an entire episode discussing it. Um, I mean, we probably should just move right into Glass because there's so much to talk about with Glass. <laughs> and and as I was saying a little bit at the beginning, Glass is not a comic book movie in that it's not based on a comic book and that it doesn't you know have the comic book conventionality to it. But it is a comic book movie in that um, it is very comic book lore as in uh, Mr. Glass references comic books often, and there's enough scenes set in comic book stores. And this is all related to Unbreakable as well, which is, um, as a lot of people have written now that there's been reviews out that Unbreakable kind of jump-started and, and or um, pushed the, the, the modern era of comic book movies because apparently it came out the same year as X-Men, the very first X-Men, which would make sense in that this is the time when that interest in comic book uh, stories and turning them into something more than just cheesy, you know, Batman movies as we had seen before had finally become what we now see 19 years later. Um, so let's jump into it. Glass is, uh, as anyone have, who has been reading online already knows, it's a very divisive film in this. Some people absolutely hate it. Some people, I don't know anyone who outright loves it, but some people like it. And it's been a very mixed response. Of course, there's also... 19 years of expectations writing on it. The, the big reveal at the end of Split was that um, Bruce Willis's character from Unbreakable was in that universe and that it's a connected universe. And then, of course, then uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, announced that he was going to make Glass, which is the culmination of his trilogy, so to say. Um, also, and, can we warn people we're going to spoil the fuck out of Glass? Yeah, from, from now on, this is a full-on... Because the problem with Glass is that I, you can't discuss it without discussing everything. And I don't even mean the the very final ending, but just the fact that it it goes where it goes, and that once everything once they get to this um, mental hospital, that's where everything kind of picks up, and it's like everything at the beginning. I mean, I'll say okay to, to start. I'll say that the first thing that satisfied me with Glass uh, was that he did continue the way I at least wanted to see things happen, which is what um, his son from Unbreakable, who was like what twelve, fourteen at the time they filmed. I was actually I looked it up before I went to see Glass, and he hasn't been in movies in a long time, or maybe some small role. So he hasn't done anything. And first things first, I thought, okay, they need to have him back, and it would be great if they get the original actor, and they did. And that they continue in the beginning of Glass, they pick up with that storyline with with still 19 years later, but basically him helping his dad continue his um, quote unquote superhero work in Philadelphia, you know, saving people, but saving basic uh criminals petty criminals and and small jobs in philadelphia it has never really broken out of that neighborhood um and i was glad to see that i thought first things first at least he's not gonna throw some curveball and be like oh his son you know got angry at him and left and now he's solo and blah 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 blah. like at least they can pick that up and continue so that made me happy but but that's what i'll say because i want to I want to have a good discussion where um, I've learned that I want to uh, at least respect everyone's opinion on this because even though I have my feelings on Glass, everyone else has their feelings too, and that it's a very good film to discuss and have all our opinions on, and that there is no like one answer of it's terrible or it's good or it's bad or it's whatever. <laughs> and I know, I know, Amon, maybe you don't agree with those fans, but let's let's just get into it. <laughs> who who wants to start? Who wants to give us their opinion? I'll start. Um, so I was very excited, uh, to see Glass. Um, I am a massive, massive fan of Unbreakable. I actually rewatched Unbreakable the afternoon before I saw, the afternoon, the afternoon before I went to the Glass screening. 
and it still holds up brilliantly. Um, I love that film, and I really enjoyed Split a couple of years ago when I saw it. Um, the that that button scene, that button scene in Split, where it is revealed that it takes place in the same universe as Unbreakable. I was more excited for that sort of button scene. I'm not sure if it was before the credits or after the credits, but I was more excited for that scene than I was for the majority of Marvel's, you know, more recent post-credit scenes. I sat up in my seat. I was, you know, close to clapping. I was hyped. So I was very excited for this movie. I was crushingly disappointed by this movie. Um, and it was, I just, I, I, I left feeling so deflated. It's been a while, I think, it's been a while since a movie which has had so much great setup and so much great potential has had so much of that just wasted. Um, well, I want to, I almost want to ask, what do you mean by that? Like, what was you, what were you, what was wasted in a sense? Like what, just, I, I don't want to say, what did you want to see? Because I don't want to get into that territory too much, but like, what, what was your, where did you think it could have not been wasted? Well, I mean, there's so many different ways to answer that question. I guess where I would start is that given everything that's that's been set up in Unbreakable and Split, this film just feels like it's retreading a lot of the same beats which we've already seen. And the fact that, I mean, the fact that this movie, a big chunk of this movie is trying to convince you or and well convince the characters and by as a byproduct the audience i guess that these guys aren't uh special whereas in unbreakable and split he spent two movies pointing out that these guys are very very special so it just feels like you know we're retreading old ground um, in many respects, with that big middle chunk of the movie. And then, you know, even up, up until, like, the final act, it's not great, but I would say that it's at least watchable. But the final sort of 30 minutes or so are awful. Um, they're really, really bad in so many respects. I mean, I've, I've, I've got a list of notes here, but, you know, the, the entire thing takes place in the parking lot. I mean, it makes... It makes the airport and the Civil War look glamorous in comparison. Um, that the, the the setting of the final act itself, and then um, you know, uh, Mr. Glass himself, he's it's like it, um, it me of Deadpool. It reminds me of a Deadpool movie in some respects, except that it's about a hundred times more serious. And Elijah doesn't know that he's in a comic book esque movie, but that doesn't stop him from calling out every trope of the genre every single time he can. And in the final 20, 30 minutes or so, I rolled my eyes so much because he broke out into sort of that, you know, uh, monologue type, you know, oh, this is, you know, all, all the characters are together. The, the, the showdown is now happening. We don't need these tropes explained to us. You know, we're, when Unbreakable came out in 2000, that was like before the comic book movie boom, I think only X-Men had been released prior to Unbreakable. Mm -hmm. But now we've had, you know, nearly two decades of comic book movies. Um, and, you know, a, a Glass feels like, you know, it still belongs in 
you know, like a couple of years after Unbreakable. It, it, it feels like you know, it's, it's, it's set in that time, even though Wouldn't that make sense, all these though? movies. Wouldn't that make sense, though? Or because you, I know that the, the the writing in the film is 19 years later, but uh, but but I would expect him to want to finish what he started and not reference it truly across what has happened outside of this, which is all the Marvel and DC movies that we've seen. Uh, I'm know. just I'm just throwing you curveballs, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you no, 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 yeah. I'm you know, I'm I definitely think on that, but just. I was very, very sort of unsatisfied. That 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 final thirty minutes is is just it, it, the the film really fell apart for me uh, in those scenes. Just also on a, on, a, on an action level, it's not really exciting. Just and then you know, I'm, I'm comparing it to Unbreakable again. I had, I had Unbreakable sort of firmly, freshly in my mind. I'd watched it the afternoon before, and just thinking about that way, look the way that film looks, even on, even on a visual level, uh, Glass can't compare. Uh, to it, so I'm I'm gonna let to the one of you guys weigh in because I feel like I've been talking for a while. But um... well, I I just want to say one thing is that I do agree with you that the 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 line that I've seen it twice now that always makes me kind of like chuckles when he's like and the three main characters return and I was like oh my god when that when the, there's the... so many lines like that though like, the, the, I know but that uh, one is like truly the, 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 I am a mastermind it's just like <laughs> oh my gosh are you serious can you guys was... see me raising my hand right now. <laughs> and Mike is like patiently, quietly waiting. Okay, okay, go, go, for it, go, go ahead. Go for it. Okay, side note: the the movie does take place in present day. They make it pretty clear a couple times in the movie. So, you know, whether or not in the world of the movie, comic books are now popularized as movies, I don't think that's established. But I don't think I just I, mean that in relation to what Aman was saying. Like, I just mean that he that. Uh, Shyamalan wasn't trying to make a movie that was distanced. It was only an inevitable thing because of the time it took to make it, but that he would have wanted to continue and deliver something that did fit with Here's the thing. I I think one driving factor, before I kind of touch on some of my reactions to Amon's comments, uh, is that this film is so anti-comic book movie that it's more of a comic book movie than any of the superhero movies we've gotten accustomed to. All these movies we've been seeing for the last 15 plus years or whatever have been driven by their own, you know, isolated creativity within the universe they're making on screen. There's always references to comic books, but almost exclusively they are their own stories. You know, the the Christopher Nolan trilogy, uh, Watchmen, these are a couple examples of, you know, mainstream movies that did draw directly from comics, but for the most part... We're, we're living in a world where there's comic book stories about these heroes and there's movie stories about these heroes and they pretty much live in their own sort of um, different worlds. And I think what's so interesting about this is he never goes into that. Like he easily could have created dialogue which references comic books as a sort of beyond just the, the page thing, but it is very strictly like he's obsessed with the written comic book and the mythologies that they have dri- been driven from and blah, blah, blah. We can get into that later. But I think that's something worth thinking about when we compare our experience watching any of these three movies with what we understand to be exciting renditions of superpower. Because at the end of the day, and they make it fairly clear in the movie, nobody in this movie is a superpower person right they're superhuman they have extra strength and that's essentially 
all they are. I mean, mentally, they're very fragile, as we saw throughout the film, and how close they were to even giving up on what, you know, what they were and their abilities to be stronger than the average man. But the reference in the film that I thought was most compelling was the one to the circuses and these people who were just sort of wrangled up because they had special abilities that were different from the average man. But really, at the end of the day, it was their mental conviction that they were special that allowed them to be presented to the world in a cool and creative way. So without Samuel L. Jackson, these two guys probably would never be noticed and at the same time would never have fulfilled their potential because they would never been influenced by some outside force to do so, which is why I think it's important that we have, um, can you remind me of the actress's name, the lead? Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson. That's why I think we got where we are in this story with a Sarah Paulson type character. Bringing it all back around, I, I think that a lot of people have been complaining that this felt rushed or forced or desperate to capitalize on by by M Night Shyamalan to capitalize on whatever's happening with comic book movies these days and i just think it's the opposite i think he he's been waiting to tell this story you can feel how much he's been wanting to tell this story for years and if somebody would have just given him some freaking money to do it, he could have done it in a way that I think would have been more satisfying for people who were really big Unbreakable fans, as opposed to really big Split fans, which I think it's more of a sequel to Split than anything else. And Unbreakable is just sort of tossed in there because that's that's the connective tissue. But I think yeah, that, and people have been waiting for an Unbreakable sequel. I remember yeah, even at the like, end of Split, people were like, "I've been waiting." What even for is an Unbreakable sequel? Like, what is that? Because Unbreakable was right. great because it never needed a sequel. It didn't. It shouldn't have had a sequel. Like, it it works because of our own ability to just sort of you know extrapolate what he can do with the rest of his life to protect people. And I I think that's why I think he's the reason why this movie doesn't always work. Like I I wanted this movie to be amazing. I did not love love this movie. I loved parts of it and I hated parts of it. But I'm the opposite of what you had said, Amon. I thought the first half was cringeworthy. And it oh, was wow. only until the second half, and ironically, that final fight, that I really liked it. Mike, is it because it was going through the motions again? Of like the, As I've heard that complaint from a couple other people, they were like, oh, it was redundant, and I didn't need to see uh, the overseer go through his things again. And I was like, well, we haven't really seen him for 19 years. Like, at least bring us back into the story. And the other thing I want to mention before I, I, I get your answer to that is that we can't forget this is a $20 million movie versus Unbreakable was $70 million, and that was 19 years ago. I want and to talk it, about that so bad. It's so infuriating. Why did this movie only get $20 million? There's no way M. Night Shyamalan was like, I just need $20 million, that's all. No, but it was but it was a, a Jason Bloom, Blumhouse production, which meant he's he never does more than $20 million anyway, and that... You have to imagine that M. Night, ha ever since Lady in the Water and happening in his, his disastrous films, he's no one has wanted to fund him or let him make films anyway. So for him to get his footing back through the visit and split, and which he self-funded both of these, and to be able to even get to a point where he could even make a sequel to Unbreakable and get any kind of money to do so is a challenge. And 
it's kind of remarkable that it's twenty million. Of course, I'm not saying that that means everything with uh, Glass is perfect because it's twenty million. There are some faults with it. He clearly, the the whole end fight that we've been talking about is like uh, a very clearly they didn't have money to do anything else, so they just shot it with like five people in the middle of a parking lot. <laughs> you know, that's something. That's why I like that last scene, and and I think you know a movie shouldn't be watched within the context of how much its budget was, right? That it should always transcend that. The same way that good sound, good music, any of those good pieces that make a movie are not noticeable, I shouldn't have to know about it to enjoy it. I would agree unless it's a noticeable, like unless it's right, an obviously like, problematic thing. But look, 200, Split made $280 million on a $9 million budget. Who was getting pitched by M. Night Shyamalan uh, for a follow-up and said, 20 million's all you need. I don't get maybe, that. Maybe it was just that. M. Night saying, like, oh, I didn't need uh, like to constrain himself. Because maybe his mistakes on happening, and especially The Last Airbender, which was, what, like $200 million budget? Maybe his mistakes on those were that he just went too big and realized that that's you know, over question, his, what, 10 years since then? The question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Was M. Night Shyamalan restricted by a low budget, or did he not have enough of a vision to really go the next level that he should have for the third <laughs> version of a story? And I think, I, and Aman, you feel it's the latter. I do feel it's the latter, especially when you consider all the creativity we've seen from other filmmakers with similar budgets. There's no excuse. I mean, I, I don't buy the, I mean, obviously I would have, he, he he deserved to definitely have more money to make this film, but you look at something like Upgrade, which you know I would you know, I, I need to I need to look it up, but I would I would predict that that costs less money than uh, Glass to make, and look at the fight sequences in that movie, and then you compare it to something like Glass, and it's just like it's just there. Um, there's nothing visceral about it in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I. But isn't, I, I don't that what, that. but isn't that when we just look at it within the context of the narrative and how, you know, Mr. Glass is talking up a big game of this stupid tower and how they're going to have <laughs> yeah. this massive oh, brawl like it's going to be. Yeah, like it's going to be. That was annoying to me. That was that it whole was like continuing. It was yeah. infuriating. Yeah. Like throughout the movie, I was already anticipating hating the fight scene on the building. And so when they didn't do it, I had this great shit-eating grin on my face where I was like, I'm so happy this is happening in a parking lot. And Mr. Glass... <laughs> I think you're the only one, Mike. Well, but like, you are I the was, only one. <laughs> but look, I, and I'm talking about my thought process during the, process, during the film, right? Where I'm like, well, Mr. Glass has got to be miserable right now. Like, he's got to be so pissed off that this great big show is only happening in front of six insane asylum people and a few security guards and like nobody's gonna see this brawl and it'll be over and to my surprise pleasantly so he knew that was gonna happen all along and i just thought that was a great way of of using the sort of expectation we all have of this big giant fight scene on a big glass tower in the middle of a big city just like all the Superman movies and everything that we've, or whatever we've watched before, to only happen in a parking lot and to not have um, the beast pick up the vehicle and chuck it 
like we're watching Chronicle 2. Like to have um, a movie that that understands its characters enough to say they do have actual limitations. This is all a mental head game being played by Mr. Glass and this lady over here about whether or not they're as capable as they think they are. They're not actually superhuman, but they do yeah. have, uh, you know, I will, uh, they are superhuman, I would say. They're not superheroes. I don't know what the t- classification really is, but I think you get what I'm saying here. That's why yeah. I really liked that that happened. I love that, you know, the way that our, our hero, Bruce Willis, dies is in this measly little shitty puddle. You know, I just thought that was so, so. I just loved that, and I didn't see that as a crutch at all. I thought that was M. Night actually spending enough time with a script, even though it only took him a couple years, but spending enough time with a script to know that instead of letting my great big hero die this great big death, this is all it takes. That's, yeah, and that, that was always that was I, that's always why I liked it. That's why I liked it. I, I agree with some of what you're saying. I especially agree with the um, the twist, if you will, of it of the big fight and the big tower not taking place. And the the, the way you explained it, um, the the, the uh, having the scene take place in the parking lot makes a lot of sense, and I appreciate that. But the problem, one of the many problems with the final act, and if you look at something like Unbreakable. There's only one big twist in the final act, and it lands huge, has a huge impact. The final act of Glass has like four or five twists, and none of them really land as big as they should. Um, you know, you got the the twist with Sarah Paulson's crew, the 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 Lotus people. I mean, when you see the sniper sort of take out um, uh, James McAvoy. And it pans to that symbol on his wrist. Nobody has a clue what it means uh, at that point. Everyone, I mean, for me, I was just like, "Well, okay, what's that meant? Like, what, what the hell is going on?" So what that do you mean you didn't land. know what it? What do you mean you didn't know what it meant? I, you knew what it. Well, meant. I was like, "Who I, is I, this I, person?" Is yeah, at that point, nobody. Yeah, at that point, nobody knew what it meant because that's the first knew, time we're seeing that symbol. The way at that point, I guess maybe. But you knew <laughs> at, you knew that he that oh shit there's like either that's another superhero or there's a whole separate group under at play here like you knew the moment that he passed by that clover that the clover meant something and that we're about to be revealed to a bigger picture right I was just wondering what the <laughs> hell was going on honestly <laughs> that boy and I just I mean if the writing had been better I think when you pan to that clover symbol. You know, the 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 click of you know everything that you're saying that okay there's a there's a wider organ that should happen immediately if the storytelling happened better but for me I was just wondering what the hell was going on then you got the twist of all the characters dying which for me was very anticlimactic um, then you have the twist of the the cameras um, that uh, Glass had had set up which is a good twist and does land. Uh, of, of all the twists, that that's that's the one that sort of had the best impact for me. Yeah. But there's like three or four different ones, all coming in at the same time, converging. It just doesn't. It, none of them. I think if you just have one or two, it will land much better than 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 it ends up. Uh, I, I do I do agree with you that he got too excited and had too many. 
And but I but yeah. I do feel like the reason why that was a mistake was because it took away the value of two of the best ones. Like you you you're here talking about the three twists that I thought were less interesting than the other two, which was the train connection and the Oh, um, I hated that. Okay, hold on. And then <laughs> The train connection, which we have to talk about then, and the yeah. <laughs> and, and what I thought was the most compelling moment of the film, the best line, the line that straight up gave me a chill and told and and I said to myself, "Oh, here we go." When Samuel Jackson said that this was an origin story, uh, that saved the movie for me. And it, but that's true. I, it's a, it that's saved exactly the movie. It saved the movie for me. As soon as I realized that yeah. this woman that I could not stand, whose performance was so bizarre to me and felt so uncharacteristic of the non-comic booky characters of these movies, suddenly is a comic book character. She is the supervillain's, you know, Lex Luthor type character who ultimately is trying to you know, well, we don't need to get into the specifics of what she's trying to do other than... Yeah, I want to talk about the ending later, but... Continue. Yeah. So I, what I loved was the idea that now I can look back, even for a split second, and realize that this movie was always about her and whatever she's doing and whoever she's working with or for. And it was always the end of their story. They were simply the the... They were the appetizer for us to get into a much bigger world that has much more interesting characters than even these guys who I loved for Unbreakable and loved for Split. But I think – so, Mike, I think you, you – to your point, you, you can't forget that the title of this film is Glass. It's not Unbreakable 2. It's not Split 2. It's Glass. And therefore, as but much as – it shouldn't be Glass. It should be Clover then or Cloverfield. Well, no, because, because I agree with that. Sure, but, but the, the point is nonetheless that – um, it's not the conventional comic book movies we now know, which is like Avengers into Avengers Affinity War into Endgame, blah, blah, blah. It's, it is three individual origin stories just almost backwards. Like that we get um, who, who, was, who at the end of Un, uh, Unbreakable was the villain, we get his origin story as the last one we see. And that was – when you say that that line really, really put the movie together for you, I think that's what you're hinting at is that basically that that made you realize that that's actually what this movie is. It's not – really a sequel so to say i mean it is because they're all in it but it is really glass's origin story and of course i wouldn't say that it's the most brilliant reveal with glass that his superpower is his brain and blah 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 and that there isn't much of an origin because we already know his origins from the first movie but and nonetheless it point. is film his, it, but it is his film and we can't forget that we it's can't not forget his film this. he doesn't do shit for three quarters of it so for three four but, but i'm saying that at the end of the game, at the very end of the whole film, and I don't know if this works as well as uh, M. Night wanted it to, but at the end of the whole film, the point is that Glass's construction, his whole creation of this, his whole point was to inform the world, was to make the world think differently about themselves and to empower themselves. And to, to go to your train point, Mike, because now we can get into this, Glass, ironically, I guess it was, I don't even know, ironically, but coincidentally created these two superheroes by what you said, by, by, by mere coincidence, Crumb's father was on the train, and also he created, so to say, um, the overseer by, you know, uh, all three accidents leading to him. So he actually was, like, responsible for creating these people, and then his grand scheme was to say, look at what's out there, 
we're not looking closely. We're ignoring the fact that there are these incredible people, and we deserve to to think about them and admire them. And and even though he doesn't really have a superpower aside from being really smart, he's not as strong or as as capable as the other two. He it is still that his even though he's not in it or not doing much with three quarters of it, it is nonetheless a film about what his capabilities are, which is to to outsmart even the supposedly smartest people in the room. You don't agree say, with that? <laughs> I will say that despite my disappointment um, from the expectations I came in with, I left satisfied. But but that doesn't that doesn't you know override the fact that I, I think he he did way too much of a bait and switch on us. And I and I'm I'm not offended by it, but I'm super disappointed about that. I feel like, the, you know, if, especially if you're going to make him sit there and drool over himself for the first hour <laughs> of the movie. Not 15 minutes in which it's already established. I get it. Okay, for for 19 years he's been basically comatose. Could have easily, uh, you know, given us more early. I think in classic M. Night Shyamalama ding-dong way, he wanted to, you know, sort of stretch and stretch so that that reveal feels more like a reveal. And I'll give him that when he actually slit that dude's throat, I jumped in my seat. That was a great moment. And I don't think anyone would contest that that was a great moment in this film. (laughs) Amon? (laughs) It just made the world a whole lot smaller and instantly um, for me. And listening to you guys talk about it, Makes me make. I'm 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 thinking about my reaction now. I'm, but I know that in in the moment I was just like really, it it just made the whole world a lot smaller and just it seemed like a very far fetched coincidence. Um, but well, you know, I felt that way too, especially especially when I was like, well, I don't understand. The cameras are on you. What's I don't get this, and and you know his ability to guess to guess things correctly. Let's be honest, he's not a superhuman smart guy. He's just really good at guessing and he's very sly. But I don't think the film conveys that very very well. Like right. the film conveys it in the way in the way that in, in the way that you're interpreting it the way you are now when you know they should have taken sort of you know uh, greater pen, greater pains to explain how smart he is and and sort of display that in the film. They don't really do that very well. Well, I also felt that, you know, one of the great qualities of any superhero is vulnerability. And when you look at uh, Bruce Willis's character, it, the water thing is, is it was great and unbreakable because it came from a very personal moment, right? Maybe it was mental. Maybe, it, maybe it's just because of his horrible past of the string of events that happened with water that caused him to feel this way, right? And maybe with Split... Now, now you're talking like the psychiatrist. I'm like, well, oh, wait. Well, I think that's what's, <laughs> what was most compelling. That scene was extremely compelling, and I'd love to see yeah. it um, on paper, actually. I'd love to read the script for that, because I, I did not like her performance there. And it was very distracting um, in a negative I just think, way. I just think, like, if, if this was the first time we were seeing, um, you know, Bruce Willis's character and... Samuel L. Jackson's character. If this was the first time we were seeing these characters and these were the questions that Sarah Paulson was, was posing to them, I would be completely on board with this movie. But we know that these guys are superhuman. 
It's like watching. But do you know, we? <laughs> yes, we do. We've had two films explaining it. It's no, not... but I, but I, I, agree, I actually agree with you, Imam. But uh, but nonetheless, there is that moment where she she rationalizes it in a way where it's like, oh, actually, that makes sense. And that, like, I don't want to say the writing is so great that I, I truly believe it, but that moment where she did it, like, actually, the first time I watched it, I was like, dang, man, she kind of got me. Like, she kind of made me think, like, well, maybe these other movies, of course, made you believe by the end that they were real, but then you're kind of like, well, she actually explains it in a way where it is this way. And I like when movies do that, when they kind of make you second-guess yourself, because because even though, of course, you, you're you watching it from the the... Uh, perspective of a viewer of a movie you believe what you're being presented but then they like throw in this other sort of curveball where they're like wait a minute even though we we made you believe this here's actually the truth of what's going on and it is plausible that they have these things as a psychological creation i like that when you when you have a movie that's uh you know written by the director clearly the vision of the director a story he wants to tell or she wants to tell um there's always two or three scenes that you are very clearly were the very beginning checkpoints that they knew they wanted to hit, right? This is a crucial scene. This is a crucial scene. Maybe this is too, but we need to connect those. How do we create a story that's compelling that connects those very important stories or messages we want to get across, right? And I, th- I thought without question that... Um, that sort of psychiatric evaluation scene where they're all in the room together was probably the, the, the cornerstone of this movie. It was arguably, I would say, the first thing he ever wrote. And I think that that's, it's a very important way to look at this film of where does it all come from? Does it come from the ending? Does it come from his you know, reveal that there's this other group and there's more superheroes out there? Or does it come from this idea that... In the real world, people who appear superhuman are only that way because they believe they are. And if they are convinced otherwise, they would just be like you and me. And in no, that but... same token, you and I might have superpowers we, we've never tapped into because we did not have a trauma specific in our life. That's what all these <laughs> movies are about. I mean, that's really... I let, think that's just the metaphor, honest. though. I, it, I think that's but, the but metaphor of what all... he's trying to say. Yeah, it is a metaphor, but that's what these movies are about. They're, uh, he's trying to specifically send a message through these films that he thinks is compelling. And that message is the same one that we hear at the end of the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse movie, that because of that movie was so good, we sure. loved that delivery. But it's the same yeah. message. Anybody could be a superhero, but in, in, the, in M. Night's world... The only way you're a superhero is not if you believe in yourself and you believe that you are capable of doing good. It's actually the opposite. It's if you experienced a horrible trauma in your life, you. I think uh, that's taking it I, too literal, though. I, He's giving I us get, these stories. I get what you're saying, but like at least eighty percent of what you just said has been covered in Unbreakable. The same questions which you just posed have been covered in Unbreakable. It's been a whole film asking it, and at that point in time when that film was made those questions were even more interesting because of the fact that there weren't many superhero films around. But you're asking now the same questions after you've had two decades of superhero films, which, you know, you have to take that into account when you're you're making a film for 2019. You have to evolve the screenplay as the genre has evolved. Yeah. And, And not only sort of, you know, is, is, is that sort of a point, but the way in which 
the discussion is presented feels like the dullest possible way it could have been done. You got three of the world's best actors, no, well, two of the world's best actors and Bruce Willis in a room. You don't have them interact with each other the entire time. And again, that's the cornerstone of the movie. And you just go, it, it, it's, it's very, very, very dull, even if uh, the questions uh, Sarah Paulson's character was asking were interesting and fresh. The way in which it's presented is very, very, very dull. That makes you—you you make a good point, Amon. And I—I I, I, this makes me want to address something that I—that I've been feeling about it. And I know everyone's feelings are different. And actually, what you just said, Amon, kind of almost defeats my argument here, which is that we are affected. We, we can't deny that we are affected by the Marvel and and DC movies that we've seen in 19 years. We can't deny that, like, because it's not just a couple of them. It's you know. 20 MCU movies and, you know, six major DC movies, not to mention every other comic book movie between Deadpool and Deadpool 2 and everything else we've seen. There's been a lot, and it has completely changed what we're expecting. And the point you make, which is is, is great, Amon, is that, of course, we can't... This movie now exists after that. M, M. Night can't forget that, that we now exist in this world. But I do like that he tries to take us back to that time and say... I'm going to make something that isn't any of these movies, that is no longer following this structure and expectation. Like, at some point I realized he's not going to go to take us to the tower because that's not what this movie is. And, of course, he doesn't have the money to do it. But that, that that's not what I really, in the end, wanted to see out of an M. Night superhero movie because that's not what I thought. But we can't deny that that affects our expectations and our thoughts, even subconsciously. Like, even if we go in saying, hey, I know this isn't a new Marvel movie, we are nonetheless thinking of Marvel. I mean, we, we, we spent the first 10 minutes of this podcast discussing, you know, excitement over Avengers and Spider-Man. So there's already that thought there, and we can't rid ourselves of that. To your point, we also can't completely remove M. Night from that discussion and say he, he has to acknowledge that some way, and I don't think he truly touches upon it enough. I think he wants to. I think he wants to subvert what we've seen and what we expect now, but I don't think he does it in a, in a truly brilliant way. I think he just does it in a very... Um, mundane, straightforward way—not straight, not totally straightforward, but in a in a very like okay, basic way—and then and then it leaves us wanting more. But that didn't. But that doesn't mean that we should have had more. Is my feeling about like I I I agree with a lot. Of the, the, the only point I'd add to that is that if it were maybe five years ago, then I can understand sort of you know the tropes that you're talking about in terms of the big fight at the end and the finale and sort of the, the blue light going up to the sky and all that sort of thing. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but we're at a stage now where even you know, the Marvel movies and the, and the, and the DC movies and the, the, the com- conventional quote-unquote superhero movies, they are themselves subver- subverting those tropes. You look at the ending to Civil War, instead of the big fight, which you're expecting, it's just a really emotional fight between the three main characters. You look at um, the Doctor Strange, instead of sort of, you know, a big fight between, you know, Dormammu and Doctor Strange, you got him bargaining to, you know, save the universe. So those films themselves are already subverting the final act. Um, and, you know, we... So that... That, <laughs> I, I agree that, with what you're saying. That also, make but... it sort of easier for Shyamalan to do something similar and not be sort of you know feel pressured into doing that big fight scene. Here's here's, some, here's something I'd like to. Does that make sense? It it, well, yeah, it, it does, does make sense, sense. <laughs> and I, I agree very much so that he squandered the opportunity he created for himself, and 
I, I think that what I really... I don't fully agree, but I don't. Okay, I well, we'll dispute this. But I, I feel that, you know, despite enjoying it in my on my own terms and in my own head, I will never be able to articulate why somebody else might enjoy this movie. I, I will never. I won't spend a single <laughs> ounce of energy trying to convince somebody else that they should like it. Right? I, there are some movies where I'm like, if you didn't like this movie, you're wrong. Um, I don't do that very often. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't do that very often. <laughs> but there are. I'll say that about Spider Verse for sure. <laughs> yeah, sure, I agree. Sure. Yeah, that was, sure. Hundred yeah. percent. So, so yeah. with this though, you know, I think it's going to be a very subjective and personal experience, whether you like it or not. Um, and I mean, whether you like the film or not, no, you know, the other way. So mm. I personally, you know, have convinced myself that I liked it, but I also did not like it enough and not inherently or naturally enough to be able to say it's a great movie. Um, I'm convincing myself of this. And I was frustrated often throughout the film. And one of the key reasons I was often frustrated was because it always felt like M. Night was on to something. Like he was on to this sort of contradictory um, exploration of superhero stories. And how he started making this film in, that released in 2000 before it was all going the way it's going. And he was telling a story about our obsession with the mythology of comic book heroes and the obsession with tropes and cyclical natures of stories and how it's supposed to end this way. It's supposed to be the good versus the evil on the grand stage. It's supposed to be, supposed to be, whatever. And Mr. Glass was always our vessel for that. He's just an obsessive fanboy with more power than just a keyboard, right? And... And I thought that was always a really compelling element that in a movie called Glass, we were going to get to see unfold. And so not only does he sit him in a chair with nothing to say for the first hour of the movie, but when he finally gets something to say, he doesn't really say it. He continues his sort of facade of this is how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this way. And so when he finally reveals that that was just a facade, that in reality, I'm doing it a different way. I'm still going to reveal to the world and do that thing that needs to happen. They need to see this to believe it. But instead, I'm going to just give it to my side, the sidekicks that I've personally, you know, classified as such, and they're going to distribute it. And then, boy, did I, did I leave the theater pissed off, though. I, it may sound like I love this movie, but I left pissed off. <laughs> You've oh, been changing yeah. your mind over the course of this conversation. No, I'm, I told you at the very beginning that I have I loved it and I hated it. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's I would it look my my first the the my tweet review right after I left the theater was it was the best of times it was the worst of times <laughs> and one of the worst of times in this movie was look it should have ended with uh, that scream in the hallway should have cut to black. And it should have rolled credits. And you can throw a bumper if you want, but that should have been the end of the movie movie. Instead, he goes, to this, he goes to this train station, and he makes us sit there and watch these quote-unquote sidekicks wait and get desperately frustrated that, for some reason, their, their uh, viral video didn't go viral in two hours. Like, this is what I work, I work, I work in the advertising industry very often. I work, I work on commercials and I work with brands and I've done this for, you know, 10 years or whatever as a videographer and an editor. And 
I find it, I worked really hard to kind of steer away from the clients whose main um, ask was we need to make a viral video <laughs> because they do that. They sit in a train station and they wait for people to start looking on their phones instantly as soon as they hit send. And I'm like, this is the psych most psychotic thing. And I can't believe when I'm watching this movie, then I have to watch these guys sit in a train station waiting for their video to go viral. And then it does. And it's just people who are somehow privy enough to the information that is very deep and took three movies basically to establish that what they're watching is superheroes unfolding before their eyes, not just, whoa, dude lifts car with bare hands. Amazing. And so it gets on CNN within 30 seconds of people starting to pay attention to it. I was so mad. I was like, this is such bullshit. Stop spoon feeding me something that you already told me and you told me much better with an epic speech by Samuel L. Jackson. I really wanted to get this out there in this podcast. I'm glad I did. And, and Alex, <laughs> I, I will I will relieve the floor to you. To no, no, I, 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 before I get to the ending, I, I, I do agree. And I think everyone who watches this, for the most part, like, I agree that I was <sighs> watching, I was annoyed a lot of the time. Like, a, a lot of the time I was just like, oh, come on, like, what do you, you know. But then a lot of the times I actually had to, like, wrestle with my mind and be like, hey, this isn't. This is me wanting something and not trying to appreciate what M. Night is delivering us. And I've learned through my many years of, of criticism and, and reviewing films that I, I try not to review what I wanted to see, but rather what we're getting. And that's not to say that there isn't faults and problems with the film or any film, but that like a lot of the times when I was watching this and my annoyance was more me being like, oh, I wanted to see uh, uh, Bruce Willis come out and kick some ass and throw cars and, and defeat the beast and one thing. And I didn't want to see them all die. And I wanted, you know, I wanted more of a showdown and I wanted more of a reveal and twist. And again, that's that is to a fair point. Something you can say about this is that it, it didn't truly hit all the notes it should. But I still enjoyed what we got a lot of what we got. And I. I actually was never bored, which is criticism I hear most often is people are very bored by it. And I get it because it's so talky and not a lot of action happens. But um, Aman, you said you watched Unbreakable and so did I. Unbreakable is a lot of the same thing. He doesn't even get to an action scene until one hour into the movie. I literally paused it to see when the timestamp was because I was like, this, we're finally getting an action scene an hour in. Most of the time he's walking around, like attempting to figure out whether he actually has abilities. You know, the weightlifting scene isn't an action scene. Like there's these moments and that's what... That's what he's doing. That's what he's getting to is that, it, you know, it truly is a psychological thriller. And I don't – it isn't an action movie. It isn't a comic book movie. It's a thriller. It's just, It's all about the mind. It's all about that. And that I, I wanted an action scene, but there wasn't one. And I had, to, I had to let myself go with that. I had to say, yeah, okay, this isn't the action movie I wanted to see. And maybe that they were trying to sell in the marketing, but that's fine. That, that didn't bother me as much as it seems to bother some people. But can we also acknowledge I'm, I'm, that one dramatic absence in this film is James Newton Howard? Oh yeah. my gosh, yes! And, and oh I think my you, gosh, you, you yes. can't, you know, you, you, it's a very big part of what was missing in this movie. There's no question. Yeah. And the music yeah. in Split was subtle, but it really kind of got you in a mood. It worked you. This movie, the music was just completely absent and, and, and irrelevant. And what mm -hmm. they could have done with her and created a motif and a theme around her, they didn't. And they didn't do it with Glass either, like with, with Mr. Glass. So the only times that any of us ever had that sort of 
moment, I feel like, is when, you know, the Unbreakable theme came back. And, and we can't still be doing that. Like, we need something new. And it, it, that's that was a huge miss for me, not getting him back. And I don't know why. I don't know if there were politics. I think or it was, I think it was money. Actually, that was what I thought it was money. It's because James Newton Howard is a, you know extremely reputable, famous composer, and he costs a lot. I can imagine he's still working. He he scored two movies last year, so I know he's still working. And at the end of the credits, there's like ten different pieces where they credit James Newton Howard's score from the past two films. Or I don't know if he was in Split, but from Unbreakable, definitely there's a lot of themes that they use like at certain moments. And so I noticed that I was wondering if like maybe they paid him just a little to use these themes a little bit, but couldn't afford him fully, you know, on that twenty million budget. Or I do really wonder that. I wonder because I'm like M Night had James Newton Howard for. So many of his films, the Village score is one of my favorite of all time, yeah. and yet he and yet he he couldn't get him back for the the continuation of Unbreakable, which has but, iconic hey, James Newton Howard you know, score. But this yeah. is, as we've discussed here and there, more of a sequel to Split than it is to Unbreakable, and they had the same composer from Split, but it just didn't it didn't hit. It just felt like he forgot how important music is in driving a scene. I, it just seemed like it wasn't as important. It was as important to him as good makeup was, which was clearly not important in this movie also. Because <laughs> mm. uh, I, no. I will agree with everyone that for as much as I enjoyed this movie more than it seems most people, I do think there are some really huge issues to it that I'm like, how? Like the one you're talking about, Mike, is that when I saw it the second time, um, in the final scenes, uh, Glass has this like black stuff on his teeth. And I was like, what is this? And I asked you, Mike, in messages, and you were like, that's just bad makeup. And I was like, I guess so, because there's no other rational explanation for this. <laughs> no, the only rational explanation was that he got hold of a Sharpie, and he did that to his yeah. own teeth because he thought it, it made him look more evil. Yeah, it's because it's just like, what? And it's like, and there's, it's, it's, I don't know. That stuff, and, and that stuff bothers me to a degree, which is, I actually lowered my score a little bit the second time I watched it. Um, but it didn't, it didn't completely kill it for me, and that's... I will still defend it in that sense. Like, okay, yeah, there's some issues here, and it's not the best thing ever. It's got some big problems. Like you said, Mike, you loved it, some of it. You hated some of it. I just, I, I wish um, that it was more satisfying for me uh, as it was for you guys. I mean, my tweet review uh, of this movie was the, uh, the the no, no, no bit in Unbreakable. Um, initially, I was going to do uh, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. The Zac Efron gap. Um, but I am mad. I've realized, uh, sort of, you know, thinking about this film because I really wanted to like it, and I really love Unbreakable. And there was so much potential there, which I, again is just is just wasted. Um, and yet, yeah, the, the more I think about it, the more it's just like, damn, so much good stuff here. And I do think, you know, I think Mike, you you mentioned that he's definitely onto something, but he does not develop it um, in any kind of satisfying way, um, and it's a massive shame. But I also like, feel that, you know, it, when you look at this the way we've looked at it and thinking about, you know, well, what are you going to do with a limited budget to create an action sequence that is fitting as a finale sequence when you know as the writer you're going to kill these characters, right? What's that last really <laughs> good bite of the apple you're going to give us? And as a, you know, it, when you look big picture as a sort of quote-unquote letdown fight, it it I'm okay with that as a, in theory. So. But you I, still. I can't, but there were no. There I, were no stakes. That was what bothered me about that final yeah. fight. When I look back yeah. at it, like why? Why not have Bruce Willis's son get attacked by the beast? Like you would have. 
it would have been 10 times the stakes. I, why is Bruce Willis fighting this guy? Why? Well, do you remember why he was even fighting him in the first place? Who? Who? Which guy? Why was Bruce Willis fighting the Beast? He was terrorizing the, the, the women. Um, yeah, he was stopping the criminals of Philly, and he was a criminal of Philly. Okay, fair. Yeah, I forgot about the two women in the. I forgot about yeah. the two women in the van. That was good. Yeah, yeah, but um, uh, I forgot I mean, the point. I was gonna Let's go, ahead, you, go ahead. I, I want to. I mean, if you want to, because we've talked about a lot of it, I wanted to just uh, explain my theory about the ending and what I think that, despite these issues, that I still think it's a powerful ending. Which I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, the ending is so." And I'm not talking about their deaths, but. Um, the ultimate reveal, which of course every Shyamalan movie has to have one. Of course you get to the Clover, and of course the Clover... I argued with another friend about how he's like, the Clover wasn't even a twist. And I was like, wait, 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 what? It is a twist. I mean, it's a twist to a degree of there is one more uh, reveal or something that we get at the end, and that's that's what Shyamalan gives us. And of course, uh, if you connect that to the bigger picture of what's happening, which is what we talked about with, you know... Um, the basic idea of of these three movies is that we have these powers within us and then we need to see them and, and, and allow ourselves to believe in ourselves, which is literally a line from the film that Glass says, and believe in ourselves more to take advantage of these powers. The Clover twist to me was almost that... Um, the And the, my theory is that the building that they reference a lot is a foil. It's a foil in the sense that everyone's attention, the, the most people, there's the, the new scenes of all the people being down at the building waiting for it to open, is a, is a foil in the sense that that's what most public people care about. We're, we're, we're like given some shiny new object that takes our attention away from the actual incredible real people and the actual incredible real things happening in the world. And the, uh, the Clover was almost this like modern social political reference that Shyamalan is giving us saying, hey, there's actual organizations and people out there who want to control us and make us not realize our true potential, sure, but also to keep us in order and in line. And, you know, again, they literally say this in that final meeting, but that that's the grand theory of what he's trying to say, at least with this film in relation to our current social climate is to say like, yes, we need to be, I don't want to say disruptive, but we need to, to look the other way, to look for these, these truly great people and truly great potentials and believe in ourselves and to not let ourselves be controlled by an evil organization that has been doing this. And I love the line, it's almost a throwaway line when Sarah Paulson's talking to Glass and she says, we've been doing this for 10,000 years. It's almost like that line when Ra's al Ghul in, in Batman Begins is like, uh, in the train when he says something about like, oh, we've been doing this forever and ever and have sacked so many cities. You're like, wait a minute, this isn't just Batman and Gotham. This has been going for centuries. And then he throws that line in there in a really like subtle way where it made me be like, oh, okay, this is a huge thing he's talking about where they've been controlling people for literally 10,000 years and not letting other people believe. And of course, this could open the door for there are other superheroes because she literally says at one point, you didn't really believe that there were more than just these guys. And I don't want to say that that means Shotman's going to make more movies in this universe, but, but just that idea... If we if we take that metaphor of what he's saying here and apply it to real life, that that's that's what I thought the ending meant is that hey, like we need to 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 not look at the shiny building and to recognize the truly great talents that people have, and maybe there's some really incredible talents out there that we're just completely ignoring. I don't know. I don't know I, if it changes the film for you, but that was my grand theory with the ending and where he goes with it. It doesn't change the film for me, but I do largely agree with a lot of what you're saying. I'll also add that the last 20 minutes, as poor as they are for me, uh, they finally give Sarah Paulson something to work with rather than just having to go all monotony 
yeah. um, the entire film. And I'm going to say something nice about the film, as as much as I uh, didn't really enjoy <laughs> it. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Um, Glad this is on the record, Amon. <laughs> James McAvoy, that boy can act. Um, yeah. And he, his role in this is an actor's dream and uh, he sort of, he, he knocks out the park. He, his his manic energy all the way through is really sort of impressive to watch. And I enjoyed that aspect of the movie. Um, but that was about the I thing. think uh, everything that happens with his story is, uh, is infectious to watch. It's so fun. And, you know, in Split, it was great. But he didn't have as many opportunities on screen to actually switch characters on camera. Mm. Like, this one amped it up, and we watched it happen. And there were new characters, as you would expect, but we actually got to see him switch from back to forth. And I also think it was written really well as a follow-up because, you know, the, the, the internal struggle of each one wanting some of, some of them wanting the light and some of them not wanting the light I think was really compelling. And, and he writes that character so well because Kevin you know, does not want to be alive. He doesn't want to exist. And he created all these other identities to suppress his own real life pain that he went through. And I think that that's such a compelling and interesting story and, and gives you so much room to be creative and, you know, to have the mother character and to have the, um, the Dennis character and Hedwig is so much fun. And every time he says a Fedora, I, I laugh and yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, just, it's endlessly fun. And so then when you cut to Bruce Willis, just doing nothing, it, it really <laughs> sours it. And then when you cut to, you know, Mr. Glass literally doing nothing for most of the movie, it sours it even more. But then I think that it really does. Um, it, it does hold the movie together and on top of that, I thought even more compelling was the the use of the girl from the first from Split, and and giving her the, this power of love that was gonna mm. calm him in the sort of Hulk, you know, um, Scarlet. Uh, what's her name? I always want to call her the Scarlet, Scarlet Johansson. Witch. Scarlet Johansson, but oh, then Black, I want to say Black Scarlet Widow. Witch, which is the other one, Black, Black Widow. Widow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the way that her name's Taylor Joy, I think. What? You're yes. talking about Anya Taylor-Joy's character. Yeah, yeah, I have never looked yeah. up her name, so I'm glad you said it. I really liked her. Um, and and on top of it, like, how messed up that little relationship is. She's still probably not even of age, and yet they have a, a legitimate romantic relationship where he's probably, what, 35 or 40, and, <laughs> like, we never even talk about that. We never even look at that. And she's thrust in there as the sort of calming factor. And if this was actually just a split sequel and they left Unbreakable out of it, uh, I would have loved to have seen more of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on all that. I, I, I don't know why we're not all in awe of James McAvoy in this. And I, I wasn't a big fan of Split, so I actually really enjoyed and appreciated um, so much more of what we get with him in this and seeing that character be fully realized. Like, I thought he only gave, gave us, maybe you touched on this, Mike, but like seven characters in Split. And in this one, you kind of get the full range of like 17 that he goes through. Um, yeah, and I, they, they I mean, threw a couple of, of, of them on the computer in Split. Yeah. But those, yeah. Yeah, I don't really count those as the performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here we got to see four or five new ones, including uh, the the movie critic, which I'd love to see more of. 
Yeah, I would always, I've always wanted to see or hear or ask M. Night directly whether or not the Unbreakable sequel concept originated before he came up with Split. Because, like, maybe, like, the Cloverfield sequels, he made Split and then realized he could tag Unbreakable in it and continue, and, you know, he was finally building his career back again, and everyone loves Unbreakable, so he could do it. Or whether he truly, really had this idea for 19 years and it involved Split, or whether Split was its own original creation, and then he realized he could combine them into something that would be the grand trilogy. Because because Split, to me, all along, was its, its own original concept and idea, and, of course... It was only that ending that sort of brought it all together. And now this movie explains everything in a way that I almost didn't want to explain. Like, oh, hey, the creation of Split was on the train. And that's what really bothered you, I think, Amon, was that that, that kind of uh, aspect of where um, uh, his whole, like, uh, everything got created by that train. And But, I mean, uh, and that's what I'm wondering is, like, whether and they originally had this idea or was only crafting it through the process of developing it and writing the scripts and, and, and creating the last two movies. I don't know. I'm very curious to, to hear. Yeah. No, as I said, it just, it just felt like, you know, he was writing the movie and he came up with like four or five different ideas for us and just decided, you know what, let's do all of them. Um, and yeah, it just, it doesn't, it, it just negates the impact of uh, much of what he's going for in that final act, unfortunately. Let me, let me ask, if if I know they're all dead, in theory, um, but if if somehow M. Night was like, I'm making another movie, and we discovered that it was somehow a continuation, right? Like, if it was like, if it was, if it, this is, okay, I'm just running with the theory here. <laughs> if the theory was that there were, there are other superpower people from the same universe, the Clover universe, or whatever you want to call it, and that maybe even someone else was on the train or something else happened with the train, would you be interested in seeing it? Or are you just like, okay, it's done, Unbreakable, you know, this was the the thing, we're it, we're move on, like, please be done, M. Night. Or would you have some interest in seeing him do something else with this? I'd be interested in seeing it if it wasn't M. Night at the helm. Ah, um, but it's his whole thing. No, I, I completely I, agree. No, I, I, I agree completely. I, he's, he's just, uh, he's, he squandered the goodwill. Uh, in such oh, a you know, monumental <laughs> fashion for me in this movie that, you know, there's there's still pieces you can work with for sure, um, but I'm not sure I would trust him franchise again um, after this. Uh, it really it really soured me on it. Um, but that makes any sense. I just want to... I, th- I do think that there's um, a tricky slope here. I don't think that he hit enough of uh, the, the public's attention for the potential fourth movie to ever get made in the first place. I just don't think enough people care more than he cares. And so mm-hmm. either he's going to make it or no I, one's going to make it. You don't agree with that? You're talking, about, you're talking about filmmakers don't care as much as he cares. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I don't think it's enough of a money pot. And I certainly don't think that there's any filmmakers out there who are See, desperate to tell that other story. Do you? After this, I agree. But it, uh, before um, sort of the glass came out, I would say if, if this film had a good script, um, it would make more, I mean, it's still going to make a whole lot of money anyway, I think, because you know, it's in January. There's not uh, sort of many sort of films uh, sort of compared to... Competing uh, against me. Yeah, 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 there's not many, there's not many films that are competing against. 
consistent. And, you know, if this had a satisfying script, I think it would do sort of even better than it will inevitably do. I'm expecting sort of, you know, big receipts uh, tomorrow when the box office sort of, you know, reports come in. Um, but after to after this movie and the way it's been largely received, um, I probably agree with you. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, probably, I probably agree with you. Um, but I, I, I wanted I wanted to, to to add to that though because, you know, I I personally would love to just see that story continue because I don't think there's a question that there are superheroes in every superhumans in every single city all over the world. I think that's why yeah. that room was full of people. That's why she is like the the yeah. the leader of their you know mission, which is to go city to city and convince people that they are not uh, what they think they are, despite their abilities and their history, through um, you know just tricking them into thinking they're crazy and locking them in insane asylums, and then when she has to, she calls her goons in or whatever. But you know, I think this was. The, 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 the reason why I don't think it would work is because the only reason this movie even works sometimes is because of Unbreakable and because of Split. Had this movie been made from scratch, I, I don't I, I, it would have to be wildly different. But I also just don't think that it would have been that interesting to hear about a sort of mm. underground society that's trying to suppress superheroes or superhumans and just follow them from city to city and uncovering new superpowers. It's just basically the other side of the X-Men stories in a way. They just use yeah, politics. And, and of course, they, they, they explain the characters enough with the other movies. Like, you need to get, have the establishment with the other two films. Um, sorry, I'm But also, going. it's just like you're going to make a $20 million movie after making a $9 million movie, after making a $100 million movie. Who, who, what, what's the interest for a filmmaker? Unless they really, really got a good one that fits perfectly into this story, like who's writing that story? You know what? I would. Say? I think if somebody like Christopher Nolan got a hold of this story, he could do wonders with it. This is this is such a Christopher well, he Nolan could do type wonders film with well. a turd on the side of a highway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad well, we all love Nolan because I'm sure if we had someone else on here, they'd be like, "Nolan sucks. He can't make good." But hey, I agree. <laughs> but but. But yeah, um, after after Glass, now um, it would be tough for another film in this franchise to get made. You are right. I want to say uh, one thing. I want to say is that I've been reading some people saying this is the biggest disappointment of Shaman's career, and I find that kind of crazy because first things first, The Last Airbender is unquestionably and will always be his biggest disappointment. It's such a disaster, and then not only that, but you also have The Happening. And you also have uh, After Earth, which are hugely terrible films and not as good as they should be in any way, shape, or form. The Happening, even worse than Bird Box. I don't like Bird Box at all, but Happening's even but, worse. And it's like, how can you not... I get that you could be disappointed because you wanted this to be great, but it's not as disappointing see, as those three films. There's no way. Well, it, it depends what you mean by disappointment. If you're talking about you know, measuring expectation to what we actually got... Then I do agree that Glass is the biggest disappointment. But that's, but of that's your fault. You should never go into a film measuring your expectations versus what you get. That's only your fault if that's the case. You can't. You can't truly claim that that's. Well, then M. you shouldn't fault. make. Then you shouldn't make sequels, because you, that no, but sequels but are still... well, sequels are driven by expectation and hope, and they're driven by people liking the first one and expecting to be wowed 
by a continuation of that story. If they live on their own, then then that's a if. Well, I mean, if if you can make a sequel that's able to live on its own merit without the need of the other movie, you've made truly one of a kind. And that I don't very think that that's rarely happens. Though, but I mean, the, the comparison you can make is to Star Wars, where everyone had these huge expectations for The Last Jedi and hate it because it didn't do what they wanted. And I feel that way a lot about Glass. Like, there's this huge hate for it because it didn't do what they wanted, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's as big of a disappointment in terms of actual filmmaking quality yeah. as The Happening and Last Airbender. I don't mind it not doing what I wanted. I mean, I will say that, yes, going into Glass, you know, I was expecting, like, um, a fight sequence, a really cool fight sequence between um, uh, David Dunn and, uh, and the Beast and stuff like that. But I don't mind if we don't get that stuff as long as what we actually get is satisfying. And what we actually got for me wasn't satisfying. There are many films I can list, especially superhero films, in which, you know, I go in there, I go in there thinking one thing and I get something completely different, but in, in a really good, surprising way. And, it, you know, there are times when, you know, as is the case with this movie, where you go into thinking one thing and you get something completely different, but in a way that is very unsatisfying. And unfortunately, that's what Glass is. Yeah, but again, sure, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm just going to say that there's just, you can't compare how, how your thoughts on this to how bad The Last Airbender and how bad The Happening is. The Happening is like, I mean, these are movies that are not only disappointing, but also technically terrible. Like, really appallingly I mean, bad. If, you could argue that Glass is arguing, not perfect, but has some technically impressive moments to it. Yeah. Now, if, if, if we're arguing about, about what is Shyamalan's worst film, then I would completely agree with everything you're saying. But <laughs> just, That's what I'm saying, because there's reviews being like, like it's, but, it's but, his worst. But worst, like... <laughs> worst is different from disappointing for me. Disappointing is, you know, that, that I'm measuring expectation versus what, what I got. Um, and for me, and if I'm, if I'm sort of using that criteria when it comes to the word disappointing, then I do think Glass fits the bill. But if we're talking about what is Shyamalan's worst film, then of course the films like After Earth and The Last Airbender, Last Airbender are worse than Glass, because Glass, as we've discussed, and even I begrudgingly admitted, it does have some good qualities. Um, but it is extremely, is a crushing disappointment for me. I walked out the cinema deflated. Um, literally, I mean, I, I was on radio the other day and I was going through my five most anticipated films of the year. Glass was number five. I was that excited to see it and I didn't like it. Uh, it's a crushing disappointment. It, 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 for me, it's, it's definitely in the conversation for biggest disappointment in Shyamalan's career. I don't know, because I because the one thing I've learned over so many years of doing this is the expectations are all on you. Like if you and this goes not only in real life, like in dating and things like that, but also in even in restaurants. If like you, you expect something great and it's not as good, you can be angry, but you truly can't. It's all on you. Expectations are all on individual people. It's all within our own mind. We all have to manage them correctly. And if we don't, you can't blame only the other person. You have to recognize that your expectations are definitely a part of the experience. And again, I'm well, not trying no, to say that you can't... I disagree. I dis- um, if, if you go to a <laughs> restaurant and the restaurant has hyped itself up and the restaurant is like, you know, we're a five-star restaurant, we do this, 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 and then you go to the restaurant and it's not all that, you're going to be disappointed and it's going to be like, you know... The but maybe, but maybe your expectations... And Shyamalan has been... The last couple of films, he's finally getting the audience goodwill back. He's had Split, 
which was really, really good. Unbreakable, everyone really, really loved. People, you've earned those expectations. And therefore, when people are disappointed, it is not just, you know, not on the audience, but it's on Shyamalan too, because he's, you know... Yeah, I'm saying it's bold, though. You can't, you can't say it's totally 100% on them. Because yeah. trust me, this is this is something I've really learned in life. And other people will agree that ex- like your expectations at a restaurant can't be skewed too much. Like maybe you're... Maybe you go to a restaurant and it's over, it's hyped and it's supposed to be great. And you have your version of your mind, like the greatest pasta dish you will ever have is what this restaurant is supposed to deliver. But your version of the greatest pasta dish, maybe maybe not but what they're serving. But that doesn't mean that they, they're not serving a great dish. It just may not satisfy you in what you're expecting. But that's like a I'm, fundamental But, but I'm expecting that because they are hyping it up. <laughs> I need to debunk. We, we're, still, we're, you guys are not on the same page. Hold on. <laughs> Mike, be the be the mediator. You guys are not on the same page. <laughs> We're not talking about the same thing. If a restaurant has great hype, has commercials on TV telling you they're the shit, you gotta you gotta come here and you'll be the happiest you've ever been, and you hate it. Uh, well, then it's on them, one hundred percent. But if you go to a restaurant once and you like it a lot. Then you say, I'll go back, but I'll try something different this time. And you like that too. And then you say, okay, I liked both of those. I'm going to go back a third time, and I'm going to try something else. And you don't like that thing you try that time? It does not, is not the, their fault. That is not the restaurant's fault. The restaurant has already delivered twice something you like, and you're making something different. Or eating well, something different. That's my point. Wait, I have to conclude it. this real quick. Hold on. <laughs> If a restaurant, go, 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 go. if a restaurant only offers one dish, or two dishes, then again, it's really on them. If a restaurant's offering you up enough dishes to keep coming back and trying something new, and you don't like every single dish, well, that's just the way it is. It's tough to deliver three for three on expectation, even if the first two were kick ass. And I think what we have to do is step back and say, oh and ask the question of why did he make this third meal? Did he make it because he thought he could get a payday? He thought people just wanted to see it. Or did he feel like he finally has the opportunity to finish a story that he wanted to tell? Is it his movie or is it like a studio movie? Or is it like an audience service movie? I think it was his movie and it feels like his movie. And I don't think that it works all the time for me. It certainly doesn't work all the time for Amon and it's not perfect for you, Alex, but I also think that it is an auteur movie, and it's a wholly original movie, despite in the impossibility of doing everything in a way that's never been done before. It's a wholly original movie, and every dollar it makes should be, you know, a, a surprise. I mean, why is anybody going to this movie unless they are obsessed with Unbreakable and obsessed with Split? No one. No one's going to go to this movie unless they are already invested in that story. And so I think it's fair for Amon to be disappointed by it not being better. It's the I'm, least yeah, it's, it's my it's it's my least favorite of all three. But I think that I it's fall. it's <laughs> I, I'm so happy it's here and I will watch it again and I want to watch all three together. I actually think this movie will hold up better over time than the way I felt leaving the theater. But it's gonna need that. It's gonna need time. I'm just referencing the, the Star Wars idea of like, if other people are saying it's great, 
if everyone said it was terrible and you go in expecting greatness and it's terrible, then you could be like, well, great, it's all in the movie. But if other people are saying it's great and other people are enjoying it for whatever reason they are and you don't enjoy it, that's not 100% on the movie. And I and I know that's a tough thing for critics because critics are like, well, it is the movie. It is the fault of the movie. And it's a sensitive subject. I don't know. There's no point to me continuing because we're never going to agree. <laughs> but but nonetheless, I just wanted to to just explain that, that thought of it and, and just get over it because – as much as I don't agree with everyone's opinion on this movie, I've grown a little bit in the last few weeks since seeing it to respect some of the different views on it. And especially hearing what Amon you have to say here on the podcast has really given me a different perspective than a lot of what I've read on Twitter or in other reviews online. It's just like they're so brutal and vicious on it. It's a bit different to me than hearing you actually explain your thoughts a bit more than than what I've heard from people so or read from people, sorry. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, that. Thank you. Um, I mean, Mike, I completely agree with you in that you're saying that is, you know, uh, a wholly original auteur movie. Unbreakable is a wholly original auteur movie. I can say the same thing for Split. And you're talking about sort of, you know, uh, the, the restaurant analogy. If this was a wholly fresh meal completely divorced from Unbreakable and Split and, you know, I was uh, disappointed with it, then I could sort of, you know, you know, put more of the blame on myself, as it were. But given that it is a sequel to both of those films, which are, in my mind, very good and I've been invested in everything else, the disappointment factor is raised when elements of both of those movies uh, don't sort of coalesce into another really good meal. Um, I agree. I agree. I can't disagree. With yeah. If I if I if I love chicken piccata, but I also like sushi, I should be able to smash those two together and like what I get. But mm, but good. but it would be terrible. And if you and if you <laughs> if you recognize Unbreakable as a very different movie than Split, then it's it, it makes it even more challenging to to make a movie that feels like it carries both of those in. And I think he made the right choice in making something that felt totally different, but I think he made the wrong choice in calling it glass and creating an expectation that we were going to be following this one piece of the puzzle that joins the two together and see just how crazy it can get. And that was something that he very, very explicitly created by doing what he did. He, sh he wouldn't have brought those movies together if he didn't want us to believe that this was about bringing them together and he wouldn't have yeah. he just wouldn't have and so i love the the choice to imply that and then rip the rug from under us and say well actually this is an origin story about this lady and her cloverfield monsters but it's <laughs> it's but, oh my god spoiler no, <laughs> i mean i think i think that this is probably a cloverfield movie and that's what this is really all about <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast now we've got to the end yeah. but i mean look we've we've covered all the bases really on this movie and i think what i think what we're really all either frustrated by um or disappointed by is the sense that this could have been a genre bender this could have said you know look you've been watching superhero movies for 10 15 years you forgot what this shit can really be. And I don't think it delivered at all on that. Whether he ever intended for that to be what he delivered, I think that simply by creating it, 
and not waiting another 10 years or whatever by, by really kind of running through, running full steam ahead, he, he should have delivered something that would have existed beyond the psyche of just the runtime. Like, we should be talking about this in a different way than we are. We're just talking about whether or not it, it, it was good or not, and not whether or not the big giant message of the movie was delivered accurately. And so I think he's... he's I, I wonder if he's disappointed or not. I guess that should be our final question here. Do you think when he sees the reviews, because he's experienced bad reviews before, and he's experienced bad reviews on movies that over time became unquestionably good in the general consensus... Mm-hmm. Do you think that he looks at this and says, they just didn't get it? Or do you think he's sitting back and he's saying, I finally finished. I did what I wanted to do. I don't care if they like it. I'm really happy I did this. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's both, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, uh, for me, I mean, I do think it's a little bit of both. But I also think it's just it's frustrating for us as much as it is for him, I think, because we've been talking about Unbreakable for 19 years. I expect the conversation around Glass to last about another month, and that's about it. It's going to die a quick death for me, and I think for many others. And when you compare that to Unbreakable, that's a shame, um, because this had the potential to really close out the trilogy in a really satisfying way. Um, and just, I mean, just looking at this film, and because I I've been doing another sort of pod uh, recently, sort of recapping the MCU as we get closer to Endgame. And we take it for granted. Marvel are really good at what doing what they do. And so many other franchises have sort of come and gone or petered out or just not really worked. And this is, unfortunately, Glass is another example of bringing together multiple franchises into one film is really a difficult, tough thing to do. Um, and yeah, you just take it for granted. What was it? It was only seven years ago that Marvel sort of had the Avengers and changed Hollywood, and you know, you know, did the damn thing. And we take it for granted about now because you know it's hard to sort of think of a cinematic world in which cinematic universes d- didn't exist. But it's just a really tough thing to do. And this is another example of that. Yeah, that makes sense. I The only thing I'll say is it doesn't bother me as much as it should because Into the Spider-Verse is the real game changer to me. Like, there's another film that completely changes the entire comic book movie world, and that was Into the Spider-Verse, and I'm so happy with that movie. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, Glass. Like, what's give me what's next? Like, I, I love the movie <laughs> world enough that there's enough other stuff coming up, not only between Endgame, but other movies in general, that I'm, I'm not as bothered as probably I should be by the fact that it's not the the game changer we wanted it to be because it's like hey we just had one into the spider versus yeah. will forever be on yeah. my mind now so i'm fine yeah. i i didn't i didn't need to be i didn't need to be a game changer i just needed it to be satisfying um and it wasn't either of those things I, I, Boom. and and, and, and i do think Amon's final comment and, and well, i think <laughs> i think that's why he's not only going to be disappointed by the reactions but also satisfied by some of them as well because it seemed to me pretty clear that he was tired of this um, A plus B equals C approach to, you know, superhero mythology and storytelling. And they're always created by some random act that is somewhat ambivalent in their life and and gives them superpowers. And then um, somebody dies and they become inspired. 
whereas these characters all share one very you know strong thing in common which is that they're broken and i think that that's always been a theme not only in the posters but in the script um and i think that's always been the most compelling part and when i watch this trilogy as a whole i'll look back and i'll realize that i think that's the most interesting thing it adds to the picture to the conversation is that you don't have to be inspired to do good you you know in order to become a superhero you simply have to have to be superhuman and what you do with that is um, is not the main story but how you got that is the main story or can be at least whether or not they all come from the same tragic pasts and they've all become very wildly different so I think that it's a it's something there's a lot to chew on with it and it's not gonna be enough for me um, to be satisfied but at least I think I could rewatch these movies and have some more fun with it what's disappointing it doesn't seem like I'll ever be able to do that with another person. I'll just have to watch them <laughs> on my own and think about them in my own little world and pretend like there's a lot of depth. I'll come I'll for come it. for part one and two of the party and then just leave before glass starts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, back to the cookie cutter um, superhero movies with Captain Marvel, I guess, is the next superhero movie. <laughs> Sure, that will be the same old, same old. Uh, well, you come on, you don't know that, dude. Well, <laughs> then I guess my expectations will be low. Ah, I ho- I hope it's. Go- I'm I'm way more excited for Spider Man and, and Endgame than anything. In well, the, in the... that, I feel like. Well, yeah. I feel like Enable, movies Enable like Captain, um, Shazam. Sorry, m- movies like Infinity War and The Last Jedi have really kind of changed what I want out of a blockbuster movie. And and when I look at Captain Marvel, at least from the trailers, and I, I completely give you that that's not enough, but where, but where my head's at right now is that what is this offering me? What Besides what I think is really important, which is you know a, a female-led, very strong female-led film with a new sort of superpower collection new characters um and potentially a new wrinkle in time maybe even literally so what else is it going to do though is it just going to follow the same routine of origin conflict treachery or uh you know uh, somebody somebody goes back on their word she saves the day how how can they keep doing that and make it compelling and different? That's a question that I'm really hoping Captain Marvel answers in a good and compelling way. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I mean, if nothing else, it will be good to see another sort of female uh, superhero in, on the big screen. Um, and you do have the 90s setting. Um, and I'm really excited to see how it ends and how... Uh, she uh, is introduced in Avengers Endgame and meets the other heroes. Um, so I think that definitely has a lot has a lot going for it that I'm intrigued by. Uh, the trailers, uh, I do agree, haven't really sort of gotten me super hyped. Um, although the the I'm, I mean I'm really excited for the the big space battle at the end. It's the, that's teasing. I think that's going to be very exciting to see on an IMAX screen. Uh, um, but uh, yes, Avengers Endgame and uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, especially Avengers Endgame, the hype for those movies is far higher than the hype for Captain Marvel right now. It, it, there's a yeah. huge shadow being cast on this movie, and it's unfortunate. 
And yeah, uh, I agree. You know, in in the way, and I I don't I really don't want to compare it to Wonder Woman, um, although this is in many ways this is Marvel's opportunity to show that it can do it. It can have a female led superhero film, and it can be yeah. compelling and great. Where DC tried that already. And it now has to live in the shadow of Wonder Woman, which sucks too. Mm. But like, not the mm. movie, but the shadow that it casts. And mm. and and yet, what worked really well with Wonder Woman was the fact that it didn't need to serve anything else. It didn't. It wasn't almost. I mean, in a way, I'm like going into Captain Marvel most excited about how it ties into Endgame, not most excited about her mohawk flipping up and her shooting fire out of her hands, which looks super cool. <laughs> but I. But I'm admittedly really just sort of sitting on my hands until they start to tie that tie them back together and i'm just i'm i'm annoyed mm. by that it's i'm disappointed that that's what my where my head's at yep yeah, i agree i agree with that cool i think i think aman we're gonna have you on for endgame next which is uh, gonna be an exciting oh, discussion so so excited yeah oh which is sooner so, sooner than we know because i keep thinking may and then i'm like no wait it's end I of know. april it's like it's just a couple of months now so and i and i, I heard um that uh, from a friend who knows the marketing that they're they're not going to reveal anything they're going to be very 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 closed off about it up until everyone sees it much like star wars but but especially so. So no one's going to know anything until we're all in the cinema. So I'm very excited to have yeah. back for that discussion. And I think man. Amon will get tenure after that. <laughs> we'll start paying him. and you know. It's about time. <laughs> Pay me my money. No. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I am so excited um, for Avengers Endgame. That, that, the MCU films, I can remember watching every single MCU film in the cinema and uh, many great cinematic memories tied to those movies. Um, so the screening for that, I mean, I discussed it with a few friends, uh, a few film critic friends of mine in London, and we're going to make a big day of it. Uh, just yeah. the, the atmosphere already, uh, I can just predicting what that room is going to feel like watching that film for the first time. Oh, it's it's, it's going to be a special, special day. I can't wait. For sure. Um, well, I guess that wraps up everything. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Amon, where can we find you online? Where, do, where can we pe- where can we get to you? If we have to disagree with you again, no. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at a woman, and that is where you can sort of send me all your terrible, terrible theories and whatnot. <laughs> and I will just prove them on the spot and embarrass you online. No, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. Twitter, a woman. Cool, hey, have awesome. you ever thought about making a, a poster or changing your name on there to a fantastic woman? <laughs> I'm gonna do. It. I'm thinking about it now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, for 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 Infinity War, I think I did. I, did, I put it as I'm on Infinity War man. Nice, which, which was funny. Um, but, but yeah, that's definitely another option that I will definitely consider. Thank you for that. Sure. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Eisentower30. And um, my movie comes out on Tuesday, which will be uh, January 22nd for people who aren't listening to this uh, in the next 24, 48 hours. <laughs> so um, check that out. Two Eras Human. It's a documentary. It'll be on iTunes and Amazon. Cool. And as always, I'm at, at for showing on Twitter. So thanks again, guys. And uh, I'm looking forward to continuing our discussions again soon. Thanks for listening, everyone.